0: I often share with others in times of great sadness over the loss of loved ones, we cannot know precisely what heaven is like, but we can know what God is like, because we can know who Jesus is. And the great good news of who Jesus is, is that he is the revelation of the God who does not wish any to perish, but all to have eternal life.
1: That's the Rev. Dr. Lee Spruill, and today he offers a challenging sermon entitled, The Promise of Heaven for Here and Now. I'm Peter Wallace, and this is Day One.
2: Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. In 1945, we began broadcasting every week as the Protestant Hour, and since 2002, as Day One. In 2020, we proudly celebrate 75 years of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. Now, here's your host, Peter Wallace, to introduce today's preacher. Thank you, Sherry. We're delighted to welcome back to Day One today, the Reverend
1: Dr. R. Lee Spruill, rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Before coming to St. George's in 2005, Lee served churches in Jacksonville, Florida, in Birmingham, Alabama, and Richmond, Virginia. He received his bachelor's from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and earned his Master of Divinity from the School of Theology at Suwannee, the University of the South. He was awarded a Doctor of Ministry degree from Wycliffe College and the University of Toronto in 2018. Lee, thanks for being with us again.
0: Thank you. My high privilege.
1: So last week, you shared some of the areas of challenge and opportunity that you've been addressing at St. George's in Nashville. Another important area is mission. How does the church identify needs to serve in terms of mission and outreach and then engage members in
0: fulfilling those goals? Great question. One of our goals uh, at St. George's is to encourage each one of our members to think of themselves as a missionary as they Mm -hmm. go forth into all the everyday realms of their ordinary living. Certainly, we encourage and have a lot of experience with um, meaningful outreach into the community of Nashville, Mm -hmm. with financial and volunteer support, uh, board leadership, as well as mission trips to uh, communities in other parts of the world. I'm not so sure that uh, in my tribe uh, at St. George's, we have been as well-formed as we might be to think about looking to our neighbor, uh, looking to our friends, looking even within our own families as places where we can serve Christ by serving the needs of those around us. So again, trying to encourage people to think about being a missionary as they simply walk out the doors of the church, step into the cars, and arrive wherever they're going. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Your church has a number of worship services in different formats. Tell us about those and why you offer them.
0: Well, uh, we we do offer uh, a, a variety of, of worship services every Sunday, and I think in part because of our scale and size and, and complexity. Uh, to be quite honest, we're probably trying to meet people's preferences for when they'd like to come to church. <laughs> we are loyal to the Book of Common Prayer. I would describe the worship life of at St. George's as sort of classic Anglicanism. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful choral tradition. Our music ministry is outstanding, if I may say so myself. And um, we're excited about that. We're excited about some, some new directions indeed with, uh, with our choral tradition there. About nine years ago, we launched a more contemporary modern worship service I'll be confessional and say that I had anxiety. That would create a little bit of a uh, consternation, maybe even uh, uh, some disagreement among our parishioners because we had been historically so devoted to more classical forms Mm -hmm. of Episcopal worship. But itself is very ordered uh, and consistent with the Book of Common Prayer, although with more modern worship music. And we found that that service has been a great driver of growth and new members a doorway, if you Mm -hmm. will, into our worship style.
1: And it must be interesting to live and serve in the city of Nashville.
0: I love Nashville. I'm not a native Nashvilleian, uh, but I've lived there with my family now for 15 years. It is enjoying explosive growth Mm -hmm. right now. One of the things that I especially like about Nashville's civic and, and cultural life, and I'm speaking very broadly, of course, Is uh, an openness to the outsider. Mm. There's almost a an expectation that if you meet somebody who's moved to Nashville from out of town, you're making the assumption that they're bringing something good. They're bringing talents, experiences, Mm -hmm. giftedness uh, that's going to bless the city. Um, That's not universally true, of course, but um, it's a fun time to Mm -hmm. be in a city like Nashville. And we have, as a church, I think, opportunity connecting with new residents.
1: Lee, after college, you spent several years in commercial real estate in Richmond, Virginia, but then decided to attend seminary at Swanee. That's a significant
0: shift in your life. How did this calling to ministry come about for you? Well, i often say that um, I entered into commercial real estate with perfect timing as we went into a recession. (laughs) So I went from one nonprofit to another. (laughs) I began actually wondering about a call to professional ministry as an adolescent. Mm. I grew up in the Methodist church in a small town, as I share, uh, in eastern Virginia. And I can remember awakening to the worship life of our local congregation Mm. and the preaching of a fabulous Methodist minister there and thinking, I wonder if one day I might do that. Mm. Well, years go by and I had my uh, wilderness wandering experience. Uh, I have lived, as so many have lived, the parable of the prodigal son. (laughs) And I have been blessed with the forgiving father, both Mm -hmm. the biological forgiving father and my father in heaven. And it was very, very soon after my adult conversion experience when Mm -hmm. I was age 23 that I discerned that this was, in fact, my path. I discerned that God told me, I forgive you, Number one, number two, you're going to have to get your life together, Lee. Mm. And number three, I have a purpose for your life. Mm. And then I began over the next year to pay attention to people who crossed my path who teased that calling out of me and really uh, believed that that was God's voice mm-hmm. calling me to this vocation.
1: Recently, you earned a doctor of ministry degree. What did your studies
0: focus on? Thank you for asking that question. I studied the relationship between a congregation, specifically the congregation I serve, Mm -hmm. uh, experience of belonging and community with outreach Mm. and mission. In other words, my thesis is that there's a mutually reinforcing relationship between a a collection of Christians coming together Mm -hmm. routinely to support one another, to enjoy fellowship with one another around a meal around a shared prayer life and then going forth to engage people in the community with needs who are not a part of the church Mm -hmm. and to be blessed by those new Mm. relationships that that process itself intensifies the belonging within the church Mm. well your sermon this week draws from the gospel of john chapter 14
1: would you read the text for us certainly
0: jesus said let not your hearts be troubled Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. A very
1: intimate and powerful scene with Jesus and his disciples. We look forward to hearing your message on this. It's entitled, The Promise of Heaven for Here and Now. Lee, thank you for sharing it with us.
0: Thank you again. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God or eternal life, the ways and places where God's reign is breaking in on earth through him, he seldom speaks in rationalistic or objective terms. Rather, Jesus clearly prefers to speak of the reign of God in poetic and suggestive imagery. It is like a small seed growing secretly, leaven mixed in dough, a lost coin, a discovered pearl, a wedding banquet, a good shepherd, a second birth. And so, in our story today from John's Gospel, Jesus speaks metaphorically of our future life with him. Jesus seeks to comfort and reassure his disciples on the night before he was to be crucified. He tells them that in his death he is going ahead of the disciples to prepare a place for them with God. It is a beautiful passage from the gospel. Perhaps it is most familiar to us as a favorite Bible passage so often read at funeral services. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. This is poetical imagery meant to convey realities far grander than our critical faculties could understand or imagine if left to their own devices. And it is Thomas, a man ahead of his times, a kind of patron saint of modern scientific skepticism. It is Thomas who says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we? Modern translation, Lord, we don't know what the heck you're talking about. Well, What is Jesus talking about? How do we hear the metaphor of the Father's house? Actually, this is traditional Jewish terminology for heaven. Jesus is not simply speaking of life after death or even the promise of life after death, but the nature of that life after death. Heaven, not as a place or destination or location, so much as a relationship living with God forever in the world that is, and the world that is to come. And in this house there are many dwelling places. The King James Version says it this way, in my father's house are many mansions, which to our ears sounds unhelpfully like palatial abodes. I'm going to get to live in a big beautiful McMansion in heaven if I'm good. Um, no. What the greek words many dwelling places mean here is that there is a lot of room in heaven it is a big place a vast spaciousness for many to abide with god in perfect union and peace god has made it so but what is most arresting to me this week in re-engaging this oh so familiar text is that jesus casts his metaphorical image of heaven In the context of a journey, people of faith are going somewhere, always. Going ahead to a place is, once more, a Jewish type, a familiar picture of what it is to be the people who belong to God. It is Abraham who goes ahead to prepare a place for the people of God to a promised land. It is Moses who leads the people out of Egypt going ahead to this same land of Canaan. It is seen over and over in Scripture. And this typology is finally fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth, who goes ahead of humanity in ushering in the reign of God, eternal life on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus secures, guarantees our eternal destination through His cross and resurrection. To be a Christian is to understand your life is wrapped up in that. To understand your life is enveloped in a much larger story of a people who are always moving forward to a final destination. And what we are moving toward is heaven. So why don't we feel more comfortable and confident talking about heaven? I'm almost embarrassed thinking about how infrequently I address this ultimate destination in sermons, except in funeral services. But should not the promise of heaven be there always before us? This life on earth as we experience it now does not compare to what awaits us then. While I could not possibly collapse all the churches and Bibles teaching about heaven into a single sermon, I will share that I fervently believe in heaven and I am not afraid of being dead I certainly do have major anxiety thinking about the process of dying but beyond that no I believe I will live forever with God in a kind of aliveness that this life of mine now in this aging body now can only dimly approximate I believe that I want my family and my friends and my church to know I believe that. I am not afraid of what lies beyond the grave. And more than that, I believe something extraordinarily good lies beyond the grave. It is far more than saying, Oh, in the end, all will be well, or he's in a better place. We believe in far more than resolution to this life's pain and brokenness. We believe in the resurrection of a body and the transformation of all creation, and believing that ought to change our ultimate perspective on any pain or brokenness we are experiencing now. It is not irredeemable. It is not defining. It is not ultimate. My hunch is that as our eyes are really opened, when we see the new heavens and put on those new bodies, and become truly ourselves, as the fullness of Christ's resurrection life overtakes us completely at long last, we will at once shudder at what a hollow shell we had been on earth and how breathtakingly wonderful it is to be finally complete in heaven. If that or any other picture of heaven does not create within us a deep, sense of longing and expectancy then it is not heaven that has failed us as much as our trust in Jesus' own promises and our spiritual imaginations but perhaps with St. Thomas and so many in our day characterized by disenchantment and skepticism of anything that is not scientifically provable yes we may long for heaven but since we cannot prove it well do we ignore it? or do we probe further? But what if the question is not how or where or what, but who? I often share with others in times of great sadness over the loss of loved ones, we cannot know precisely what heaven is like, but we can know what God is like because we can know who Jesus is. And the great good news of who Jesus is is that He is the revelation of the God who does not wish any to perish, but all to have eternal life. Our God is the one who offers promises like, I prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. God wants to be with us for eternity. That is the journey we are on. That is the place to where we are going. And whose voice and whose leadership is more trustworthy in all the world than Jesus. I grew up in a small town in rural eastern Virginia. My father was something of an outdoorsman, and he began taking me quail hunting as an adolescent. We would take our hunting dog, our shotguns, and drive off to some friend's farm up the county. And we would get out and start walking, usually along the edges of large soybean fields. Frankly, we only rarely scared up a covey of quail, and even then, we usually missed hitting a bird. So there was a lot of walking with my father. I have memories of these walks to this day, chatting with Dad, and also looking over my shoulder to see his old pickup truck disappearing over a hill or around a big stand of trees. And onward we walked. It always seemed far away from our vehicle and not in a way that would get us back to it. Where were we going and where would we end up? But my father knew these fields and these farms, and so I stayed with him. I trusted him more than I trusted my own mapping skills or the immediate environment. And we always returned safely because he knew the way. I think the gospel is just like that. And I am very much looking forward to walking with my Father again in heaven when it comes in full for me and for this world. I think about that joyous reunion as well as others I'm looking forward to a lot. And so I look ahead with deep yearning. And I think this forward-looking hope has present practical consequences. First, I would hope that a vigorous vision of heaven helps me be more compassionate toward the world and other people, even when they hurt or disappoint me. It is a gift of grace to realize that not only am I a mere approximation now of who I will become, but others are, and this world is as well. The Holy Spirit may help us to see them as they will be too. To speak again poetically, to see others already robed in the white garments of heaven, so to speak, is to become a more loving person. And a second practical here-and-now consequence of believing in the reality of heaven is perhaps the most obvious, trusting that sin and brokenness and death will not ultimately defeat us. No sickness or sorrow or death or any other adversity has final authority over us. The Gospel. This is a Christ-shaped and Christ-shaping universe, far grander, more bristling with glorious energy than we can fully see. St. Paul says it like this, Now we see in a mirror only dimly, then we shall see face to face. To walk by faith through the journey of life is to know the Father is leading the way by sending to us the Son as our navigator our Savior this is Easter faith this is our hope that what begins in this life does not die in death but is reborn into our consummation beyond this life Jesus promises us that there are many dwelling places much roominess in heaven Jesus assures his disciples that there is a unique place reserved for them as well as for you and me. May that promise be enough to sustain us in all things in this world and grant us never-ceasing wonder, hope, and joy over the life to come. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we have your own words, your own promise that you came into the world that we should not perish but have everlasting life. Strengthen our faith in your resurrection life, that we trust this promise as the central truth of all reality, the ongoing, organizing principle for our lives, the compass setting that orients all we are, including our sickness, suffering, and sin, to your light and life, which we will enjoy forever, thus making us now, on the journey, people of hope. In your name, amen.
2: Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In
1: the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for
2: us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that we
1: Our preacher today was the Rev. Dr. R. Lee Spruill, Rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For a free printed transcript of his message, The Promise of Heaven for Here and Now, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Day 1 is made possible by the generous contributions of listeners like you. If you appreciate what you hear, please send a donation. We're truly grateful for your much-needed support. Again, our address is Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. This is Peter Wallace. Next week, we're delighted to have with us the Reverend Dr. Christopher Edmonston, pastor and head of staff of White Memorial Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. His challenging sermon is entitled The God of Unexpected Things, and you won't want to miss it. Lee Spruill offers some final reflections on today's sermon. Lee, in the upper room, Jesus offers his disciples hope for the afterlife, speaking metaphorically of our future life with him. In my Father's house there are many rooms, he said. And you helped us understand that those rooms reveal that there is a lot of room in heaven, room for all, a vast spaciousness for abiding with God in perfect union and peace. This is such a beautiful and hopeful image. How can we claim that image in our life
0: here on earth more meaningfully? I think as I was preparing this sermon, I was remembering how many funeral services Mm -hmm. that I have officiated over the years. And it's not uncommon for someone who is uh, grieving the loss of a loved one, either in the days before, right after a funeral, or even months after a funeral, Mm -hmm. to ask me, Do you really believe in heaven? What's it like? And as I try to share in the sermon, we can't know precisely what it's like, although I believe creation itself gives us glimpses, Mm. but we can know who and who is the one who promises this perfect union of light and life with God forever. It is Jesus. And is there really anybody's voice who you would trust more Mm. than that voice? Mm. And so the promise of heaven is not, I think, meant primarily as an award for good service at the end of life, not something we earn like that. It does come in full and God's good timing. Um, But as I was trying to share, I think it provides us a hopeful perspective for the here and now Mm -hmm. and not just some kind of a gauzy, vague spirituality that um, uh, we can hear a preacher talk about from a pulpit, but truly to uh, believe, embrace the truth that all that we are now is a mere approximation of what we will become, and importantly, that our relationships don't end, I think has profound Mm -hmm. power uh, to shape people who are hopeful and who can trust in the power of joy even in the midst of sadness and grief.
1: You also noted that Jesus casts his metaphorical image of heaven in the context of a journey. People of faith are always going somewhere, you said, and to be a Christian is to understand your life as wrapped up in a much larger story of a people who are always moving toward a final destination, heaven. You asked, so why don't we feel more comfortable and confident about talking about heaven? Would you say more about how we might overcome that discomfort and lack of confidence?
0: I'm as probably guilty (laughs) as anyone about being um, trapped within sort of um, Western scientific notions of reality. And I wonder sometimes if we don't speak of heaven quite so much because it sounds like we're talking about a fantasy. Mm. The hunger for the supernatural, however, uh, is there. Um, I was listening to a young man who teaches in one of our high schools just very recently. And he pointed out, um, because I asked him the question, so what what are you finding among the young people that you're teaching regarding the life of faith? And he said, they have an unreserved hunger and Hmm. belief in the supernatural. Hmm. He says, look at the TV shows that they're watching. He says, we ought to be paying attention to that. So... I think that um, especially well-educated, sort of mainline believers can perhaps subconsciously get trapped in a mindset that uh, the faith is primarily about uh, a squishy and distant God hmm. who wants us to be nice, who wants us to live moral lives, and somehow park to the side the supernatural power of Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. to break into our realities and give us glimpses of this eternal life that we will experience in full. And we need probably, and I'll speak to myself in a mirror here, uh, to be more confident Mm. addressing that with our people.
1: Lee, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our
0: listeners will keep in mind in the days ahead? I said, and I hope that people will hear this and trust it, that uh, there's not a single listener who doesn't have something significant in their lives Mm -hmm. that they wonder and and they may pray about, will I ever be out from underneath this? It could be a sickness. It could be some suffering, uh, some situation. And the gospel is not that God will magically remove those things from our lives, but that they're not ultimately defining. Mm. And it may be that as we endure them as people of faith, as people of hope, we will experience greater and greater trust that we are being prepared for a more glorious reality. Mm.
1: Lee Spruill,
0: thank you for being with us. Thank you again. It's been a great honor.
2: Celebrating 75 years of ministry, Day One is the voice of America's historic Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones, and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for listening. I'm Sherry Miller, wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever.